Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows that talk is cheap, and that's why this is a free show. Ladies and gentlemen, our captain. Yes, get out your dollar bills and make it rain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are still drinking some of this fantastic IPA from our friends over at Holy Trinity Brewing Company. Check them out. They are located at North 5th Street in Columbus, Ohio. Big Sky Daddy is just one of Holy Trinity's very unique and very delicious beers. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. And here's a cheers to some of our good garage friends. First up. Cheers to Wendy in Gig Harbor, Washington. And a big we like your jib to Lauren in Hudson, New Hampshire. And last but certainly not least, we have Lindsay in Fargo, North Dakota. Please go to truecrimegarage.com. Help us out with the beer fund. You can find our store page and get yourself some merch and sign up on the mailing list while you're there. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N, beer run. If you need more True Crime Garage in your earballs, sign up for our bonus show. It's called Off the Record. It's on Stitcher Premium. You get our show, you get our bonus show, and you get so many other bonus shows. It's basically the Netflix of podcasts. So check that out. You can check that out on our website, truecrimegarage.com. And Colonel, that's enough of the beer. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Saturday, November 12th, 1960, nine-year-old Gloria Kowalowicz left her parents' house before 8 a.m. to head to St. Mary of Mount Carmel Church for the 8 a.m. Mass. The church was located at 6722 South Hermitage Avenue on the southwest side of the great city of Chicago. The walk wasn't far just three or four blocks from her home located at 2002 West 67th place. And Gloria was accustomed to making this walk. It was a different era back then, obviously. Young children were much freer to go to and from places like school, church, parks without parents. It doesn't appear that Gloria's parents gave her walking alone a second thought. But they did give it a second thought when she didn't come home. In fact, she never made it to church that day, said a school friend who waited for her at the church entrance. Her parents reported her missing on Saturday afternoon. And I apologize to you, Captain, and all the wonderful listeners out there. We do not have a clear time 
of when she was reported missing. Slacker. But they would not have to wait too long before a call came in from the police, the dreaded call, the call that nobody wanted. At 11.40 on that Saturday morning, a laundry truck driver was taking an early lunch break from his route and was seated at a roadside table next to the Palos Hills Forest Preserve after parking on the shoulder. Glancing into the woods, this man's name is Harry Lindman, he was startled to see something in the underbrush of a ravine. Closer examination made him draw back in horror. It was a dead child that he saw. Her face and head were bloody and disfigured to the point that, until autopsy, police suspected that she had been beaten to death. Her pink and brown checkered dress was pulled up, exposing her underwear, and her shoes and socks were missing. Her blue leotards lay on the ground near her body. Her father, Edward, was called to the scene to see whether the corpse was, in fact, his little girl, and unfortunately, it was. He told police that the little girl's blue coat, purse, rosary, and a prayer book were all missing from the scene, but they weren't missing for very long either. These items were found along various roadways heading back toward the city of Chicago. Yeah, it seems like the killer was dumping the evidence as they drove back into the city. You are exactly right. Police believe that the killer had tossed them out of the window of his vehicle on his way back to the city. He took the girl from the city, drove out of town, she's killed, and then he is disposing of her items as he is driving back to town. And to back that up, we have this from the Chicago Tribune that says, Gloria's purse containing her white gloves, two prayer books, and a rosary were found a block west of the Southwest Highway along Highway 83, along with one of her shoes. The other shoe was found at Highway 83 and 69th Avenue. Her blue coat was found on Highway 83 at Ridgeland Avenue about five miles east of where the body was found. It's like this guy didn't really care about leaving a potential roadmap to where he was going and was almost maybe even bragging about what he had done. Yeah, or it's a ruse. I'm going to dump these items like I'm going back into the city and then he turns and goes to another suburb. But what was the cause of Gloria's death? The autopsy, it was found that Gloria had been shot twice in the head at close range. They know that it was close range because she had powder burns on her face. Mm -hmm. One bullet entered the top of her head and the other, the left temple. It was believed that the first shot was inflicted while she was standing and that the second shot, the shot to her temple, was done after she was on the ground. So we have these gunshot wounds to her face. They thought she was initially beaten, but then the autopsy is going to say, well, gunshot wounds. So was she even beaten at all, or is this just damage from the gunshot wounds? It, it's difficult to, to sit here and say with any level of certainty right? other than using their words, and their words were up until the autopsy, we had thought that she had been beaten to death. Now, how is this similar to Nancy's case? How is it not similar? So we have a situation where a person is taken off of the side of the road and then a short time later found having been driven several miles away and then shot to death. So the, the victimology is similar and the crime itself is similar. Do we have signs in either case of sexual assault? In Nancy's case, absolutely. Now, the in Gloria's case, it's a little more difficult. So reporting at the time of Gloria's case was that a pathologist who conducted an autopsy said that they saw no signs of sexual assault on this little victim's body. And this is, again, from the Tribune. Coroner Walter McCarran said Dr. Harold Wagner, his chief pathologist, found that microscopic test indicated that the girl had not been sexually molested. This has never been refuted. If the authorities have any evidence of sexual assault of, of Gloria, they have kept it under wraps for 62 years. I have a difficult time believing that 
that she wasn't sexually assaulted right. in some form or manner. I do think that we should talk about the location where Gloria was found, this Palos Park area. The Tribune says the body was lying 20 feet, where some articles say 100 feet, which seems a little more likely to me. But regardless, 20 feet or 100 feet, depending on which article you're reading, west of 100th and 4th Avenue, which is also called Willow Springs Road. The exact spot was approximately a mile south of Highway 83 in a ravine. This is basically a large nature preserve area, wooded and untraveled. And the location was about 15 miles from the Kowalowitz house. Do we know any more about her timeline? From my understanding, Gloria's parents, they owned a gas station in the city. And her parents are Edward and Esther. They said that Gloria had been walking to church that morning to receive communion with her classmates. She had received her first communion on October 29th and was instructed to take communion every day for the next two weeks. That Saturday, the day that she was abducted, was to be the last day of that two weeks. Edward said that he and Esther, his wife, had warned their young daughter repeatedly not to take rides from strangers and never to accept anything from anyone on the street. But again, she's a small child, and we all know how little kids can be enticed by promises from adults and so on. Or she could have simply been grabbed off of the street while she's making her way to the church. Yeah, or in this case, we know that there's a murder weapon, which is a gun, so you can easily control, especially a, a small child with a gun, they would be scared out of their mind. A funeral was later held for Gloria. Unfortunately, she was the Kowalowitz's only child. The services were held at the church that she was actually walking to when she was abducted. It was attended by all 650 students that went to the church school that Gloria attended. She was in the third grade at the time. Police said they were confident that Gloria was killed where she was found based on the amount of blood that they found at the scene. But the bullets that killed her, they were not found with our victim. Mm. And they were not initially located at all. So police employed an army mine detector to scan the area for the bullets, and they failed to find them. Police had resorted to sifting through the dirt by hand. Now, there was some very confusing reporting in the Tribune that says that police sifted the ground where her body was found and unearthed two twenty-two caliber shell casings. Right. The captain of police went on to say that both had a little rust on them and one was chipped. But the 22 caliber shell casings isn't really matching up with what their suspicions were because they believe that the bullets that killed Gloria came from either a 32 or a 38 caliber weapon. So these bullets, the shell casings may just have been found there. It just may be happenstance that they were found in the same area. So police spent the next few days combing the scene for any evidence, including the missing bullets. They finally found one of the bullets on Thursday. This is nearly five days after the murder. It was a 38 caliber and it was found dug into the ground two feet from where her body lay. The nose of the bullet was smushed, but the rifling was intact, meaning it could possibly be linked to a weapon if they were to find a weapon to test it against. Tests showed it was almost certainly one of the projectiles that passed right through Gloria's head. For some reason, they spent and expended a lot of time and effort searching that immediate area for the gun. Presumably, they hoped that if they could locate it, its registration would lead them back to the killer. Right. Or it's one more tool to lead them to the killer. Yeah, or fingerprints. They had 400 Boy Scouts that were brought in to comb a two-mile, a two-square-mile area. Dive teams even went into a nearby lake looking to see if anybody had dumped the gun there. Police said they thought that the offender might have discarded it, but that's just a suspicion because they searched this lake, they searched this two, 
square mile area. They never located a gun. They did find a tire track at the murder scene. Yeah, which we did not find in Nancy's case. Right. The head of the Chicago Police Crime Lab told the media, we found a tire track at the murder scene. Presumably, Captain, I'm guessing that they must have ruled out that the tire track that they're talking about was not made by the person who found her body, Harry Lindman. Remember, he had his laundry truck out there with him that day. They found a wallet on the ground, and this was considered to be a very big and important lead, right? We love it when a killer is dumb enough or makes the mistake of leaving an ID, a photo ID, or or any form of identification right there at the murder scene. Right. This wallet that they found belonged to a teenage boy. This is a 16-year-old teenage boy. So they tracked this individual down. And he said that, yes, that's my wallet, but I lost it the summer before. So I've lost that. I lost that wallet months ago. His parents, his friends, and many people back up this story. So he eventually ends up being crossed off of the list. Yeah, but I wonder what his life was like in the community for the next month of people not buying that story. On Gloria's purse, remember that was recovered from a road they found a fingerprint on the strap that was not Gloria's. A later article in the Tribune said that they had actually had a palm print taken from Gloria's white plastic handbag. So it's a, it's a little confusing if we're talking about a fingerprint or a palm print going forward. I have, I have the suspicion that they actually found both, that they may have found a fingerprint and a palm print that both did not belong to Gloria on this purse. Right. Either way, it's a good piece of evidence there. Police spoke to all of the people that would be out working, right, out driving about that Saturday morning. So this is people like bus drivers, delivery men, and others who regularly drove the route Gloria would have taken walking from her home to the church to which she never arrived. Then they did a door-to-door canvas of Gloria's neighbors, and people who lived along that route that she would have taken to get to the church that morning. And this is where they're hoping to develop a more comprehensive timeline, right? They believed that she had been abducted really just a few minutes after setting out from her home just before 7.45 a.m. We know that she never reached the church, and this is based off of our witness, her friend that was waiting for her, and the statements of the investigators at the time. Well, and there's probably other patrons of the church that didn't see her there that day. So the investigators thought that Gloria was likely picked up as she walked along Marquette Road, but later reporting said that she could have been grabbed as she walked along 67th Street. Either way, this gave a very narrow window of time for the actual abduction, as the walk even at a child's pace was less than 10 minutes. What's scary about both of these cases in, in my mind's eye is, is how visual they become in your imagination. You can see, you can almost see these cars following these girls along whatever path they're going. Nancy heading home with her sister Cheryl and seeing Gloria waking up, heading to church so she can take communion and, and then being followed by a vehicle you can almost see how that would play out or even like you said is there some ruse that they used or like get the get the girl close to the car and we'll abduct her with a with a gun now in nancy's case it's different because we have eyewitness this person jumps out of the car and snatches the individual this could be the same thing that happened in gloria's case now, in Nancy's case, like we said, we, ha- we have her sister, Cheryl, that was with her. So that was a solid eyewitness. But again, she's only five years old. In Gloria's case, do we have any eyewitnesses? We end up with several potential eyewitnesses. And again, this walk is less than a 10-minute long walk. So to have several eyewitnesses is very lucky and helpful in this investigation. So first we have a gentleman who owned a grocery store on Damon Avenue. This is located behind the Kowalowitz's home. 
He says that he saw Gloria leave the house on that Saturday morning, waving goodbye to her mother as she left. So we don't need to be looking in the direction of the parents as far as this eyewitness statement goes, because she was alive and well when she left her parents' home that morning. Then we have the statement of the parents, Esther, her mother, said that she watched her daughter walk north on Damon Avenue and watched Gloria turn east on 67th Street. So that's a portion of her travels. Then we have a a man who's a plumber who told police that he saw Gloria standing at the corner about a half of a block from her home at approximately 7.45 a.m. This was on the corner of Marquette Road and Winchester Avenue. He was stopped at a light, he's driving, and he noticed her because she was hopping from foot to foot. He said it appeared she was waiting for someone. That's a really weird part of this story, where you have a witness who does not know the victim, and he is of the belief that the girl was possibly there waiting for somebody. Now, what's interesting to me, Captain, is he says that he notices her because she's hopping, you know, hopping around from foot to foot. But he's there because he stopped at a light on the corner of these roads. Well, why? I'm wondering if she had the opportunity to walk across the street, but did not. And that gave him the indication maybe she was waiting there for something or someone. Another witness who was described as a 45-year-old maintenance man, his name is Carl Bartell, told police that he saw a girl who he thought could have been Gloria. And what's strange about this, Captain, is he says that he saw this girl that he thought might be Gloria riding in a car with a man on Saturday morning. This would have been around 8.40 a.m. He said that the two were driving on 131st Street, at 104th Avenue, about two miles from where Gloria was eventually found. They turned north on 104th. The child was with a man aged 25 to 40 with black hair. This is as described by our witness. The car was a 1954 or 1955 Plymouth four-door sedan, olive green. I don't want to jump back and forth between the two cases too much because it will get a little convoluted along the way. But remember in Nancy's case, it was described as a four-door sedan, a four-door vehicle, dark colored. And a lot of the reports say black. There are some reports that say possibly a dark green. In Gloria's case, we have this witness who's saying, Look, if this was Gloria that I saw in the vehicle with this man with black hair, age 25 to 40, they were traveling in what I believe was a 1954 or 1955 Plymouth four-door sedan olive green. Police took Bartell to the crime lab to view Gloria's clothing to confirm the sighting. If you do a little map detective work here and look up about the time that it would take to drive from Gloria's house to the intersection where this man says that he saw Gloria and the dark haired man, it takes about 34 minutes to drive that 14 or so miles. So this timing could be fairly accurate. Backing up his statement that he believes that he saw Gloria in this car. So if she were picked up at approximately 7:50 AM They could be on 131st and 104th at 840, as reported by this witness. Now, of course, give or take 15 minutes, which could mean all of the world entirely. Another helpful tip came from a Mrs. Stephen Griffin. No relation to Peter. Who saw the blue coat lying on Highway 83 west of Ridgeland Avenue at approximately 915 a.m. So the timing of the blue coat having been discarded in the roadway meant it was possible Gloria had been killed within an hour of the abduction. We also do need to point out, though, just because we painted the picture earlier of the killer killing Gloria, leaving her where her body was found, and then driving back to Chicago or heading back the direction he came and discarding her her items along the way, 
there's always the possibility that this coat was tossed out the window while Gloria was still alive. Fortunately, in this case, there was another tip that was called in. This was an anonymous tip, however, and this was simply a woman that called police identifying herself only as a neighbor of the Kowalowitzes. Per the Chicago Tribune, they say, quote, she said the murderer was driving an automobile whose license is issued to a resident of Alton in Madison County, end quote. So it's unclear how this witness, this anonymous witness, would know this. Right. Or if she even knew it at all, it could have been a complete hoax. But then you have to wonder if she did, in fact, know it. Did she see the car? Did she have knowledge of this crime or or knowledge of the suspect? Did it, if she did see the car, did it have some kind of sticker or some other mark that designated it as being from Alton? Was she referring to the license plate that she saw on the vehicle? All of this stuff is, is unknown and really unfortunate because this tip comes in. We get this information. It seems very, very loosey goosey. And we never hear anything of this tip again. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back, mates. Cheers. He's back. I'm back. Cheers to the people in the back. Mm-hmm. Tall cans in the air. Now, here's a part of our investigation that comes up every time we run one of these investigations, especially when we're talking about the abduction and murder of a youngster. And this is the part of the investigation, Captain, when the Chicago police did the old pervert roundup. And they rounded up all of the usual suspects. Yeah, get as your PPs out. And they demanded alibis from anyone in the neighborhood where Gloria lived who had a history of any kind of sexual or sex charges against them, sex crimes. A 19-year-old girl reported being followed home by a blonde youth wearing jeans and a tan jacket right around the same time that Gloria was taken. So right about this same time there. This was on Marquette Road between Damon and Winchester Avenues. We've named all three of those roads before. So this is same this, area. Yeah. Yes. This could be significant. The young man followed the teen as she got off of the bus and walked home and then stood outside of her home until her mother shouted at this man or this youngster to leave. He was last seen walking down 67th Street. Police were interested in tracking him down and told the public about this. But it's not clear as we sit here all these years later looking back whether they ever did, in fact, track him down. And then the other thing, too, is if we're going to cross-reference this with the other statements by potential eyewitnesses who say that they saw Gloria in the car with a dark-haired man between 25 and 40, well, another man by that's described as a blonde youth might not be our same guy, right? Both can't be true, but regardless, these are witnesses. These are people in the area trying to help out, trying to help the investigation within two days of Gloria's murder. Detectives said that they believed that Gloria had been killed by the same quote, sex maniac who had struck in the city recently. So remember this is early November. They state that since October 17th, there had been four assaults 
on women and girls in that area. Do we have any eyewitnesses of those assaults? Well, what we have in this situation is we have the people that were going to be assaulted are our eyewitnesses. And what what happens here, though, without going into the details of each one of these attacks, is I would categorize these more as attempted assaults because it looks like whoever was doing this was scared off before he got to do whatever it is that he set out to do. So that makes it very difficult when you have these air quotes, unsuccessful attacks compared to Gloria's case where it's an abduction and a murder. It gets very hard to sit here and go, well, is the MO even the same, right? Because it sounds completely different, but in the attempted assaults, we do not know what the end result would have been had the attacker been successful or not scared off. Right. By the 15th of November, police said that they had no solid leads in the case, which was about to change very quickly. But up to this point, it doesn't appear to me, Captain, that this was for a lack of trying. They really worked this case the best that they could in the early stages. They reportedly had 50, 5-0 detectives from Chicago who worked with Cook County Sheriff's investigators on the case. They claim to have spoken to about 800 people in the days since Gloria was found. They were still working the leads that they had. The fingerprint on the purse strap is one of the potential leads. They're also working the tire track that was found near the body and the possible sighting of the girl in the company of a man driving down the street. Chicago detectives were also in touch with authorities in Paulding, Ohio, as we had mentioned at the end of yesterday's show. This is to speak with authorities there as to whether there could be any connection between Gloria's murder case and that of Nancy Eagleson. Now, note that this is about 230 miles away, but the cases bore startling parallels. And again, both cases, we have a child being abducted into a vehicle, not a man on foot, so 200 and some miles is is far, but not that far. Yes. And we have the chief of detectives, James McMahon in Chicago, who openly asked the question to reporters when he's telling them, Hey, we're in contact with some people in Ohio about a case that they have. He said, have we got a killer traveling cross country? So the chief of detectives, McMahon, he goes on to say that he was checking and had been in contact with Sheriff John Keeler at the Paulding Sheriff's Department via telephone. They were both talking about the two slayings that happened recently in their areas. Both noted the likenesses of the two atrocities. The similarities in both cases, according to the chief of detectives, McMahon, he stated to the papers, the abduction, Gloria apparently was seized by a man as she walked to church on that Saturday. Nancy was grabbed by a man in an automobile as she and her sister walked home from a movie on Sunday. The death scene, he said, was similar. Gloria's body was found in a wooded area, a forest preserve southwest of Chicago, lying in a ravine about 100 feet from the road. Nancy's body was found in a desolate wooded area about 100 feet from a country road. The cause of death, Gloria was shot in the head twice with a weapon believed to be either a 32 or 38 caliber gun. Nancy also was shot in the head, but the caliber of the weapon at that time and really a little bit still to this day is a little bit in question. And at the time of this reporting, they state that the caliber of the weapon used in Nancy's homicide wasn't known. Yes, but the cause of death to me would be more important than if the calibers matched because you could be dealing with somebody that commits a crime and then gets rid of anything that they use to commit that crime. And then they commit another crime and they could then get rid of that murder weapon as well. Well, this is really a shocker here because the Chicago police 
kind of pretty quickly felt like they may have their man. And they also thought that maybe this guy was good for Nancy Eagleson's murder 230 miles away. This suspect drops into their laps, essentially, when a car was reported stolen in Chicago on that Saturday night. That stupid son of a bitch. The car was located on Sunday in LaPorte, Indiana. Now, you don't have to be a geographical wizard to know that the great state of Indiana is right in the middle of Ohio and Illinois. So they find the stolen vehicle from Chicago in Indiana. Not only do they find the stolen vehicle, but inside we got a guy. Yay, we got a suspect. He's sleeping. Sleeping, <laughs> sleeping inside is 17-year-old Robert Lee Stovall. Mm. And he happens to be wearing bloody clothing, which, of course, immediately raised suspicions. Yeah, I like that they tell us that in the newspaper. Flags. It immediately raised suspicions. When did it? Did bloody clothing not raise suspicions? <laughs> he told the police that the blood was the result of a bar fight. This guy's an idiot. So he's described in the paper as a Detroit native, Detroit, Michigan native. If you look at the guy, he's got a mustache, goatee, and sideburns. He lied to the police about where he got the car, right? The car was reported stolen. He's telling police, I borrowed the car from my sister's boyfriend. Liar. Remember, they always have a story. Whenever you're caught in a stolen car, you better have a story. Mm -hmm. So he lied to the police about this. You can quickly check and, and confirm that it does not belong to anybody that he knows. In fact, I'm not certain who the car belonged to. And his story about his whereabouts on Saturday night and really that Sunday did not check out. So investigators intended to check his shoes to see whether dirt on them matched the soil in the ravine where Gloria was found. Now, keep in mind, we're looking at this angle right here of this Robert Lee Stovall individual we're looking at all the information about him based off of what the authorities in chicago are telling the newspapers and are reporting at the time well and he is going to be questioned by law enforcement in the nancy eagleson case as well yeah polling ohio investigators in fact it was sheriff john keeler who questioned this individual about nancy's case this known liar what is weird here though to me is this this is the guy that kind of ties these two cases together, right? You have these two crimes that they're, they're rare crimes, potential yes. stranger abduction. Both of them are children an abduction and a murder. Similar they, age, similar day. Yep. Both victims are found rather quickly. The only thing that really separates them is that 230 miles. Well, you get over that hurdle real quickly when you find this guy in Indiana with a stolen car covered in blood. Mm -hmm. Now, and also where he's from, because if you take where he's from and you go through Ohio and then onto Chicago, that path makes sense. Well, what's weird here about this guy is as good of a suspect as he may look as interesting as he may appear to be to investigators right away. It seems like both law enforcement agencies at some point must have had been pretty clear that there was nothing that they could tie to him or nothing tying him to either of the actual murders. So where he is once and very briefly at that, the prime suspect, I mean, his picture is in the papers. His, his name is in the papers as being questioned in both of these homicides, the prime suspect in both murders. However, However, briefly, he was actually considered to be a suspect. He seems to have been dropped by both agencies and dropped out of the spotlight very quickly. Again, very strange because he's covered in blood. I'd be testing that blood before I drop him from my suspect list. Right. And that's what I mean is weird here that we get his picture in the paper. We get his name in the paper as being interviewed and questioned in both cases. Mm -hmm. And then they move on from him in both cases, but we're never really told why they moved on from him. And I'm assuming we can see all the work that they were doing in Paulding. We can see all the work that they were doing in Chicago on these, these two cases. And 
I don't like to assume, but you have to believe that they had something that moved them off of this guy or something that told them that he was not their guy. In fact, you have the statement very quickly from the chief of detectives in Chicago that says, despite the similarities, Mm -hmm. the chief of detectives said there wasn't enough evidence presently to warrant sending a Chicago detective to Ohio. But McMahon, the chief of detectives, emphasized that if Keeler, John Keeler, the John Keeler, the sheriff in Ohio, if he ever had a suspect in Nancy's case, then the Chicago Police Department will waste no time in sending a man to Paulding to assist in the questioning. Yeah, this is very strange and very confusing. And and maybe this is why these cases are not solved 60 years later. And this is one of those really, truly unsatisfying parts of any story, of any true crime story that remains a mystery to this day. Here we sit, 62 years later. Nancy and Gloria are killed, abducted and killed on the same weekend in 1960, 230 miles apart from one another. There was enough similarities in this case that the investigators thought that there was a chance that they could be connected, that maybe this maniac, this man that they find covered in blood in a stolen car from Chicago, kills the little girl, makes his way through Ohio after abducting and killing Nancy, and then returns only to be caught with the stolen vehicle covered in blood in Indiana. And yet we sit here these years later, we're not being told that this Robert Lee Stovall, who was described as a habitual liar, right? he was described as a, a psychopathic liar at one point in the newspapers, which that term and that word means a lot different today than what it did in 1960. It's just really frustrating. It seems that he had some kind of mental issues that he may have been in and out of institutions at portions in his life. So we do not know what went down behind the scenes when these investigators are talking to this guy, because I, I want to be clear on this when he's picked up the way that the, the way that the Chicago police and the way that it's described in the papers at the time. And maybe this is just the media taking a little bit of liberties here with the story. But it's described as, oh, snap. We had this murder in Chicago, This one of the most horrific murders we can think of in recent memory. We have this abduction and murder that takes place in Paulding, Ohio, a place that does not see this type of crime, this kind of violence. And we found this man covered in blood. He's our guy. He is the guy. He's traveling, driving around like a maniac, looking for the next victim, and we got him. Right. That's the way that it's described. Yeah, you just, these types of crimes, that this this person is, obviously they weren't afraid of being seen by the younger eyewitness. This person probably is a psychopath. These are crimes of a psychopath. Correct. But then therein lies the problem. You sit here all these years later and you go, maybe this guy, Robert Lee Stovall, was the only thing that was really binding these two cases together, tying them, connecting them together. And once he is removed from the situation, once they believe or once they move on from this guy, because I don't want to say that he's cleared. They never officially say that he's cleared, but they looked at this guy long and hard in Chicago. They thought this was the guy and they moved on from him. So there was something telling him that he is not responsible for Gloria's murder. There was not enough on this guy for them to remain interested in him for Nancy Eagleson's murder. I really want to know about them testing that blood evidence. Because obviously they don't have DNA back then, but they could have tested it to see if it was the same type of blood in the Gloria's case. And that's why I mean that it's unsatisfying. You have this guy that they moved on from, and yet we do not know why. We have we sit here and have no clue as to why they moved on from Robert Lee Stovall. Now, I will tell you this. Tell me something Keep in mind, good. Cheryl, 
who was with her older sister, Nancy, the night that Nancy was abducted. Right. She had never heard of Robert Lee Stovall. She did not know that another little girl was killed that same weekend, two states over. And because his picture was readily available, because he was in the paper so much at the time, I showed Robert Lee Stovall's picture to Cheryl. And she said, I've never seen that man before. Quick note before we wrap up this week's set of shows, we are doing a part three and part four on the Nancy Eagleson murder investigation. And that is because our involvement with the Porch Like Project has made it so that we are privy to certain information that has not hit the newspapers in this case. And so we really took a deep dive looking at the Nancy Eagleson investigation, which has gone on now for 62 years. So with so much information, we were just not able to cram it all into two episodes. Well, that's what we like to do here in the garage is let the information dictate whether it's going to be a one-parter, two-parter, three-parter, or heck, even sometimes we'll do a six-parter like with the John Bonet Ramsey case. So we get to take a deep dive into this one and make it a four-parter. In parts three and four, we will continue to look at the Nancy Eagleson investigation, and we will also take a look at another similar crime, as well as the suspects. Yeah, the old turd burglars. And you won't want to miss when we get to the suspects, because I think you're going to find them to be very interesting. Thank you for joining us here in the garage. Thanks for letting us whisper in your ears for the last few hours. You are our friends, our buddies, our pals, and we appreciate you. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? Yes, we do, Captain. This week we are recommending that you go and do your reading over at Uncovered.com. Look, there are more than 200,000 unsolved cases that have gone cold in this nation since 1980. Uncovered is the nation's largest database of information powered by you, the public. They are crowdsourcing cold cases at Uncovered.com. Check them out. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.